Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Are you excited like I am? The victory, the great victory that God gave us at the Supreme Court. American Christians are rejoicing that on Thanksgiving, just an hour before midnight on Thanksgiving, the Supreme Court of the United States of America, after reviewing all the legal documents, after reviewing and hearing all medical and science information said, hey, it is not right to say it's okay to go down to the liquor store or the strip club or the casino, but for some reason, you can't go to church. Well, I tell you what, they ruled in the favor saying that is unconstitutional. It is illegal to do that. Praise God. And so uh, it's what we've been saying all along. And that is, if you can have 500 people at a Walmart, you certainly ought to be able to have hundreds of people in a church worshiping the Lord. Well, uh, praise God for the great victories and uh, things seem like they're turning around, the vaccine's coming, and uh, we're thrilled about um, what God is doing for our church here. And so we uh, have this uh, series that we've begun last Sunday, Who is God? That's one of the biggest questions, if not the biggest questions that anybody will ever have. Now, many people here have had the beautiful privilege of having a baby on the way. And you know there's such excitement when that time comes. You prepare the room, the clothes, and you just can't wait to hold that little uh, blubbery uh, bundle of joy and hug them and dress them up. And I remember when little Nathan was born, I went out and got him a pair of jeans and uh, got him a little um, uh, shirt there. And he wore that home and I was so excited to have a little boy with jeans on and little flannel shirt. Oh my goodness, it's a joy. Isn't that something when you think about it? I've never met him. I've never met our children. Yet I already loved them before they ever even came into this world. Now maybe you've never had the privilege of having a baby, but you have had the wonderful joy of hearing about somebody and so much so that uh, you feel like you already know them. <laughs> You're like, you, then you meet them and you say, man, I already know you. In fact, I already appreciate you and love you. Now, if that's true as humans, imagine what it must be like for our God when scripture says, according to his foreknowledge, he loved us from the foundation of the world. Before I was ever born, before I was ever even a thought, God loved us. We are in a series on the attributes of God. This one today, God's foreknowledge. To be foreknown is to be foreloved. It's been said that a man's character will necessarily be determined by the character of the God he worships. I love that passage in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, where Paul reminded the church, he said, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. The last part of that verse says, by increasing in the knowledge of God. My day-to-day -day walk is going to be pleasing to the Lord 
as I grow in the knowledge of God. Knowledge is power, it's been said, and it is. There's a great power in knowledge, whether it be in uh, having a little bit of knowledge about a car, and so you're not taking advantage of it down at the car dealer. Having a little knowledge uh, about cooking uh, keeps from burning your house down, but a little knowledge is empowering. Imagine the power when you have uh, and know about God himself. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, I want to know Christ. Now, some people want to know all about this or all about that, but Paul said, I want to know about Christ. Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, renowned uh, preacher of the past, said this, I know of nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to winds of trial as devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. Who is God? When we talk about his attributes, we're not talking about, you know, just uh, uh, things about him or components of God. This is not like going to a buffet and saying, you know, I'll take uh, a little bit of those, uh, that macaroni and cheese there, a little bit of kale, a very little bit of kale. Uh, no, it is about all. God's not 10% love and 10% justice and 10% foreknowing. No, God is love. He's 100% love. And in fact, God is all-knowing and God is all-powerful. And so when we talk about the foreknowledge of God, we're talking about who he is. This is his very nature. And so today we look forward to understanding this vital but overlooked and even misunderstood doctrine. And so would you join me in prayer, please? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you today that you are a foreknowing God, that you love us and care for us. Lord, uh, I thank you for the privilege of preaching, even in these unique circumstances. And I bless you in Jesus' name, amen. Foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is simply knowing something before it happens, before it exists. The actual word in the New Testament foreknowledge is the Greek word prognosis. Well, we know what that word is, huh? If you go to a doctor and uh, you, they examine you and they say, well, this is, uh, this is our prognosis that we would uh, say about what's going to happen. It's meaning what they think will happen. Well, in God's case, it's not just thinking. It's, in fact, a truth. Now, when God knows something, then that means it's going to happen. It's not that God makes it happen. It's not that God uh, predetermines it to happen. He just knows that it will happen. Now, on this subject of foreknowledge, I think one reason why people don't really know much about it or perhaps don't get excited about it is because there's been a lot of misinformation, a lot of, I think, uh, things that aren't maybe quite understandable. There are some people, sometimes extreme in the Christian world, who have the idea that God's foreknowledge is God's predetermining something. That is, in eternity past, 
God decides who he wants in heaven. That's a pretty good thought, isn't it? Man, I mean, I, I, can, I can live with that one, that God has chosen me or predetermined that I would go to heaven. I like that truth. But the other truth of that, the opposite side of that, fills my soul with such a remorse. Also, according to this uh, misinformed doctrine, God chooses to send some people to hell, that he creates them to send them to a fiery hell. And so if that is what foreknowledge is, then I got to tell you that leaves my soul uh, hurting and longing for some further information because that just simply cannot be right. That would just be a terrible thought to think about God. Well, thankfully, we have scripture. And when you read all the different things in scripture, when it says about God's foreknowledge, we piece together exactly what it is. Well, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. And we're going to kind of bounce around for a minute, and then we're going to settle in Psalm 139. Peter, the apostle, teaches that God the Father had the foreknowledge of God the Son's sacrificial death long before he died. Look what it says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Through the sanctification of the Spirit and the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This whole passage here is saying that Jesus Christ died. He died on the cross with us on his mind. That means because he loved us, he died for us. God the Father saw God the Son's sacrifice, his great sacrifice of love. And so God then elected us to that. God chose to give us that salvation based on the decision we would make. God then chose us and elected us to receive the love of God. Meaning that when Christ was on the cross, I, you, were on his mind. Christmas is coming. We love Christmas. I Just a, such a special time of the year. Then New Year's and New Year's Day. Then uh, it won't be long until we'll be uh, celebrating Valentine's Day and lovers everywhere will be expressing their love. On Valentine's Day, there are millions. In fact, I read recently that over a billion dollars each year is spent on chocolates and a billion on cards. 200 million roses are typically given on uh, and around uh, Valentine's. Now, what is this? This is uh, a way to express their love, a way to demonstrate the fact that we uh, love each other. Did you know that over 2,000 years ago, God's Valentine, in fact, not just 2,000 years ago, from the foundation of the world, God sent out a Valentine, and that was God the Son came displaying his great love for us. He died on the cross. God the Father foreknew that, and as a result of that, he chose us to receive that. He is the man with a plan. 
That's why it says in Romans 8, 29, whom he did foreknow. He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son because he knew who would be saved, because he knew that he put his love on us. He then chose us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's why the great prophet in Jeremiah chapter 31 says, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Look at that verse. It's an everlasting love. Look at that verse. Everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn thee. God's foreknowledge saw that I would receive Christ, that I would repent of my sins. Because of that, he put his love on me. He drew me. Now he, as it says in John chapter one, is willing to draw any man that comes into the, the world if they will receive him. But God's foreknowledge is really God's foreknowing. It is his foreloving. In fact, in scripture, uh, the word know, uh, in some cases, is to use for the marriage bed when Adam knew his wife, or it talks about knowing, and it's the idea of a love. And so the fact that God foreknew us means that he loved us before the foundation of the earth. Folks, this ought to get us excited. If this is a dry, dead concept, then it's one thing. But if it is vital to who I am and to my well-being in life, to be able to walk worthy, then it is a great truth. Well, let's go to Psalm 139, and we're going to spend a little bit of time here this morning knowing about God's uh, truth, of the knowledge of God, how much he loves us. And I want you to notice how many times in this passage it says, I know this about you. I know. Number one, if you're following on our outline, and you can get that on the uh, on the app there, or if you're in uh, services today, and, and I see you, and so uh, make sure you're getting uh, this down, and uh, this will be something you can share with somebody. That number one, God knows all about me. And this little outline we're going to be using uh, constantly uses the word me, because we're moving from theology to meology. <laughs> God knows all about me. Look at verse one. Oh, Lord, I love that, don't you? Oh, Lord, this is very personal now. This is not some dry uh, truth. Oh, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Not you have known all things, but you have known me. In the scope of all the world, of all the things you've got going on, you love me. You know me. What does God know about me? First of all, he knows my character. A, he knows my character. Thou hast searched me and known me. Not only does God see to us today, he sees through us and has searched us. He searched our heart. Aren't you glad uh, that God knows my heart? 
Sometimes people don't understand me or understand where I'm coming from, but God does. And Exodus chapter 33 and verse 12, he said to Moses, I know thee. I know thee by name. God knows my name. He knows my address. He knows my social security number. Nothing is hidden from God. And that means that my qualities, uh, whatever they might be, he knows them. And that also means uh, my weaknesses. God knows them. Now, as humans, we think we know one another, but what we know about people are their reputation, maybe their actions, maybe their words, but God knows our character. God knows the essence of who we are. And so the first thing that God's foreknowledge allows him is to know my character. Number two, B, God knows my conduct. Verse two, thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. God sees us. He's not just a, a spiritual entity, a concept. He is a person. He has attributes. He knows me. He's acquainted with the very practical things of my life, like it says here, my sitting down and my rising up. Now, Sigmund Freud, for example, the great uh, so-called father of psychology, he said this about God, God is not a personal reality. He's just a comforting idea. You know, Sigmund Freud, uh, what, a, what a sad concept and what a tragic concept. He, being the so-called father of uh, psychology and uh, psychotherapy, you know, many times people will say, you need to get professional help. And yet most professional help goes back to Freudian type uh, concepts. Freud was an avid drug user, a, uh, had tr terrible moral issues promoting um, child molestation. He was a known homosexual. When a man like that says that God is not personal, he's not a reality, he's just a, a comforting idea. He went on to say he's an emotional crutch, wishful thinking, but certainly not involved in the day-to-day -day lives. And yet how opposite of Scripture. Scripture says he knows my day-to-day -day things. In fact, he knows when I sit down on a chair and he knows when I rise up. He knows when we take a nap and he knows all about me. Aren't you glad that God is a personal God? His foreknowledge gives him that understanding. He knows about my character. He knows about my conduct. And then he also knows about my contemplations. Look at the last part of verse two. Thou understandest my thought afar off. God understands our thoughts. In fact, God understands our thoughts before we even understand our thoughts. He knows all about us before we know all about ourselves. While I'm still trying to formulate what I'm going to say, God already knows what I've been thinking. He thoroughly understands it. He judges it wisely, lovingly, on his foreknowledge with an impartial mind. Look what it says in verse 3. Thou 
encompassed, my, totally surrounds my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. I can't go anywhere where God doesn't uh, compass me. He's surrounding me every step on the path. He is watching and recording. You know, folks today have these uh, Apple watches or these little Fitbits or other little devices, electronic devices that record things. It records their, um, uh, for example, records their steps. I know one fellow that says he's going to, he has to do 10,000 steps a day. And uh, he just checks his watch. Oh, I've gotten two. I've gotten four. Uh, one of our daughters was telling me that the little watch uh, tells her how much sleep she got, how much deep sleep she got. It tells us our blood pressure. Um, it records uh, where we've gone. <laughs> in fact, I even read the other day that in uh, divorce uh, proceedings, uh, um, one uh, woman subpoenaed uh, her estranged husband's uh, uh, Apple Watch to prove where he had been. <laughs> it's getting to be a crazy world out there. So, you know, I just warning you folks, if you got one of those watches, but now I want to tell you something, God knows more about you than your watch does. He knows everything about our life. He knows everything about our conduct, our character, our contemplations, and then also D, our conversation. Look at verse four. There's not even a word in my tongue, but lo, oh Lord. Again, just such an exclamation. You know it all together. God knows my words. Now, in uh, the Hebrew uh, and uh, also in the original Greek in the New Testament, usually a negative expression is used in a way of saying something to just make the positive of that stronger. For example, there's not a word, not, not a word, so that's a negative expression. What it's meaning is not one little word is unknown to you, God. My little pause, my uh, my is, my, you know, God knows every little tiny word that I use. That's just simply saying God is listening to everything. God loves me. God cares. He understands. God is watching all I'm doing and saying. Several years ago, uh, when my dear friend, Brother Hayden, was alive, uh, I preached for him uh, in uh, northwest uh, uh, New Mexico when he was there at a, what was called a camp meeting. And I've never really been a camp meeting preacher, but it was really fun to go and participate. And one of the things they had during that day was some folks that were singing and, well, what a delight they were, but they, uh, they were definitely country and uh, just a delightful, wonderful Christians. But I still remember the one song that the one brother sang and uh, he just would get up there and he would just sing it out from his heart and He'd kind of hold out those vowels, you know, he'd work those words over and he'd say, uh, there's an all-seeing eye watching you, <laughs> an all-seeing eye watching you. And uh, for years, I've had a little joke when someone would say something, I'd say, there's an all-seeing eye watching you. And I don't know how he did it, but his, his eyes were kind of looking like that, you know, but 
Um, there is an all-seeing eye, and it is God. But, you know, that shouldn't worry us. That should bless us because of his foreknowledge. God knows all about me, number one. Number two, God is always with me. God is not only knows me, but he's with me. Look at verse five. Thou hast beset me behind and before, laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Folks, the truth of God's loving foreknowledge is just way too much for the human mind to comprehend. His love, that God's loving presence, his care. Notice what it says, that God is everywhere. Has it ever occurred to you that God never has to go anywhere? <laughs> He's always there. I may say, I'm gonna go down to the store. God's already at the store. He's everywhere all at once. That's why he can foreknow things because he is omnipresent. God is beset us, this verse says, meaning he is guarding us. He has a hedge about us. That's exactly what he said in the book of Job, chapter one, verse 10. Hast thou not made an hedge about him, about his house? You remember this story? Uh, Satan was complaining to God that God had a hedge about his servant Job. Hast thou not made a hedge about him, about his house, about that he hath on every side and blessed the work of his hands? The idea here is that God's hedge of protection was around Job. And Satan had been trying to find a way into that hedge and like a moat around a castle, like a hedge. And hedges are wonderful because they keep from coming out, from coming in, but they also keep from going out at the same time. They keep us from uh, doing things that we wouldn't like, uh, uh, things that wouldn't hurt us ourselves. Here on our property, we have uh, some raspberry vines on the bank of a little creek uh, called a slough. And uh, these uh, very sticky raspberry vines do keep others from coming up, but they also keep our grandkids from going down. And so this hedge, uh, is something that God uses. And God uses hedges in our life to show us that he's protecting us from the outside and protecting us from ourselves. at times. He pokes us and says, hey, don't go over here. That's gonna not be a good thing. And we feel those wonderful promptings of the Holy Spirit. That's why it says in Psalm 34, verse seven, the angel of the Lord encampeth around those who fear him and delivered them. God blesses us with a hedge. And so his foreknowledge, because of his foreknowledge, he's got this hedge around us, protecting us from what he knows might hurt us and protecting us from ourselves because he knows how we are. Number two, God is always with me. A, death doesn't hide us from God. Look at verse seven. Whither shall I go up from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Verse eight, if I ascend up into heaven, Thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. The greatest thing about heaven, I mean, it's going to be great to see those mansions, those golden streets, all the beautiful uh, uh, pearls and all the amazing uh, precious stones, 
all the saints that are there. But the greatest thing about heaven is the presence of God. Look at that little part in uh, verse number eight. It says, thou art there. The little word art is not there. So it actually means thou there. Thou there. <laughs> you are heaven. You are what heaven's all about. God said, you're there. But notice what he says very clearly. He said, now, if I go to heaven, you're there. Now, that makes sense. God said there. But look what it says in the last part of verse 8. If I were to make my bed in hell, thou there. It might surprise you to know that God's in hell. You know, sometimes we have the idea that the devil is the Lord of hell, and he, you know, is there, and he's, you know, walking around, and he's, you know, persecuting people. Folks, I promise you, Satan is not the Lord of hell. God is over hell, just like he is heaven. I've heard uh, some uh, some um, people sometimes say things like, well, if I go to hell, at least I won't get away from all those church people and get away from all that religion and get away from God. Well, it would be uh, for your sake. I'm sure that would be nice. The fact is, it doesn't work that way. God is Lord of hell, it says, just like the Lord of heaven. The point being here, folks, that God knows everything and he's there. Friend, if you're trying to run from God, I promise you, you're going to have to give an account from God, whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. How much better then to be able to say, God, I just repent of my sins and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Let him pay that price. Look what it says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2. We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. God's foreknowledge allows him to choose us for heaven. His, uh, his choosing me is based on his foreknowledge. God sees if I'll accept him. He then goes in front of me and chooses me for heaven. Um, if people say, well, uh, that does that mean that God caused me to choose him? No. For example, let's say that an astronomer was, uh, you know, calculating uh, the past uh, eclipses of the sun. And based on what they've seen in the past, they predict the future. Now, with certainty, they can predict exactly when that sun is going to eclipse. Now, do they cause it to happen? No, they just predict it. That's the way God is. God, uh, he, he knows what's going to happen. Therefore, he can ordain it to happen. Death does not hide us from God. Distance doesn't hide us from God, part B. Look at verse 9 and 10. If I take the winds of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. David lived on the shores of the beautiful Mediterranean Sea. This little phrase there, notice what it says, if I take the wings of the morning, the idea is if I see that first light and I were to ride the waves of that light, there have been times when my precious wife and I, we'd go over to uh, the beach. We love to go to the Carmel area and uh, we uh, can see the sunset over there. 
and there's been some beautiful sunsets and you know you sit there and you look out across that ocean and you're wondering am I seeing 10 miles 20 miles 50 miles and you wonder you know where that all leads and you see the sun out there and you kind of it's just a, a powerful sense of God and here's what David was saying he said if I could hop on a light beam and if I could go all across the wide ocean. When I got there, you would already be there. You would already be there because no distance can keep us from God. God is already there. His foreknowledge puts him there. Distance doesn't hide us from God. And then uh, darkness doesn't hide us from God. Look at verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Children of light are Christians. Children of darkness are unbelievers. God is saying here that when you're a child of the light, you're a born-again Christian, you walk in the light, you live in the light, that to God knows you. But for those who are lost and walk in darkness, that doesn't hide you from God. That's why Jesus said in John 3 and verse 19, people said, people hate the light. They won't come to the light because their deeds are evil. You know, this year of 2020 has brought with it a lot of hatred hatred for the church and hatred for God's people and uh, conservative people who believe the Bible and a lot of hatred. And uh, sometimes it, uh, it makes us upset and we wonder why. Well, folks, we should, not be, uh, it should, we should not be any wonder why they don't like us or like church because they don't like the light. And when you don't like the light, you don't want to be around light things. But I remind these people who feel like they're going to keep away from God or keep away from the truth or keep away from morality. God has night goggles and he knows exactly what we're doing. He always watches us. God's foreknowledge puts him there. On the day of Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, this Jewish, great Jewish feast day, Peter was preaching and he condemned um, that they had, he condemned them for putting Christ on the cross. But I want you to listen to this verse. Let's go to Acts chapter two and verse 23. Here, he said, the fact that Jesus was put to death on the cross did not catch God the Father by surprise. God knew what was happening. In fact, God simultaneously used the evil actions of the world to both judge the God-haters and glorify his name. Look what it says. Him, Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel of the people? No. Foreknowledge of God. God knew what was going to happen. He was involved in all that took place. Ye have taken by wicked hands and crucified and slain. Now, folks, think about that. <laughs> you talk about 
a great definition of God's foreknowledge. Did God make those people kill his son? No, God the Father did not make them kill his son. They were given free reign to do as they wished with Christ. But the Father knew what they would do. And as it says in Acts chapter 4, look at this. Let's go to Acts chapter 4, verse 25. Peter and John, this is a similar type passage. Peter and John had been arrested for preaching. Not unusual for the government to be against church. They were set free. Then they gave testimony that to their brethren, they were saying, you know what? It should not surprise us that heathen people rage. Look what it says. Verse 25, who by the mouth of the servant David has said, why did the heathen rage? Why do people imagine vain things? Why do kings of the earth stand up and gather themselves against the Lord and his Christ? Verse 27, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. What? Now, folks, these people were chosen by God to do this deed, and yet they were free moral agents. Sin is not any less evil because God brings good out of it. In fact, he's just more glorified because in his foreknowledge, he knew what would happen. The fact that God foreloves us before the foundation of the world, free of charge, without any strings attached, goes against our mind. It's just so different. If you go to the Middle East, there you uh, were to talk with some Buddhists, they'd be trying to climb some eightfold path. If you were to talk to a Hindu, they would make sure they speak of the doctrine of karma. If you were to go to Israel and talk with the non-believing Israelites, the, uh, the Judaizers, you would find that they have a special covenant that they have to try and keep. The Muslims, it's a code of laws, but in each case, trying to earn the approval. Here, God says that he loved us before the foundation of the world. His love drew us. His love brought us to him. God knows all about me. God is always with me. And number three, God has a purpose for me. This is great news today. Look at verse 14. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. God loves me. God loves you. He loved us from the foundation of the world. He knew who would accept him. And as a result of that, he chose and elected them to receive him and to be a recipient of that great love. Foreknowledge means foreloved. Why did God make us? Look at this verse 14. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Imagine with me for a few moments, God in eternity past, breathing and forming man into existence. An angel is there and said, uh, what are you doing? I'm making man. Well, what are you making man for? I'm making this man, this human, so that they might be someone I can love. 
Some have the idea that mankind is made to serve and to be sure we ought to serve God. Others say that we are uh, Christians so that we can make a difference in this world. But friend, the main thing that God made us for is to be loved. I am fearfully and wonderfully made to be loved by God. God loved me. And according to his foreknowledge, he could do that. He's been enjoying my fellowship for years. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter one and verse four. According hath he chosen us in him. Did he uh, choose me when I accepted Christ at my age of five or six as a young boy there in uh, Visalia, California? Well, uh, yes, but in fact, he chose me before that. Well, you say, when did he choose you? Look at verse four here. Before the foundation of the world, that I should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory of grace, wherein he hath made it accepted in the beloved. Wow. From before uh, mankind was even created, God experienced his, this great love affair with you and with I. Because of the doctrine of foreknowledge, God knows everything that will happen. He knows it before it happens, which if he's God, he ought to, which he does. And as a result of that, he's able to love us. Sometimes we, you know, make some decisions and they don't go real well. And afterwards we'll say, well, hindsight's twenty twenty, you know, and uh, I would have done it differently. But with God, hindsight is twenty twenty, and foresight is twenty twenty. To God, the future is just as plain as the past. Now, we need to know this about God's foreknowledge. He doesn't make things happen when it comes to my salvation. To know something doesn't mean he predetermines it to happen. There's a vast difference between the fact that he foresees everything and allows it and saying that God predetermines everything in the world. Someone happens to believe that everything that's in the world is exactly like God wants it. Friend, that just can't be true. All the sin, all the wickedness, all the terrible things that go on, uh, all the people that are lost and going to hell, those aren't God's will. God knows it. God allows it. God works it together for good. God, in one sense, uh, has chosen that it happens, but he didn't make it happen. God is not behind all of that. Mankind still has a free will. Sometimes people say, well, if mankind has a free will, then that takes glory out of God, and man gets the glory. Actually, I think it's the opposite. If man has no choice in the matter, and if God just makes everything happen, really, um, there's what joy is that? I mean, that doesn't, uh, like if I, for example, my wife, if I gave her a little pill that said, and she walked around after she took that pill, oh, you're so loving. I love you. You're so handsome. You have such big muscles. You have so much hair. Now I would know she's on drugs, but uh, <laughs> now if, 
if I did that, I mean, that's not real. That's not, uh, I don't get any joy out of that because she's, I've made her do that. I gave her a drug to do that. But if she, on her own, she chooses to love me and to care about me, the fact that mankind chooses God is the fact that gives God the glory. The fact that God knows that and foreordains that, that's just all the more wonderful. Let's uh, finish our time here this morning in that wonderful passage, Romans chapter 8. This is, this is the high point of the foreknowledge of God. You got, we've got to go to this passage, Romans 8, verse 29 and 30. In these verses, we're going to see five pillars of salvation. We're going to talk about just one of them. Look what it says, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now listen closely. Moreover, those who he did predestinate, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Here we see this beautiful sequence of how salvation works. You know, sometimes people just have the idea that, you know, we just, uh, you get saved or you don't get saved. And uh, really, in the end of the matter, that's kind of how it works. But the fact is, there's so much more behind the scenes going on than we realize. Kind of like, you know, walking over to the wall and flipping on a switch and we say, oh, that's nice to, you know, a light comes on. You realize all the work that had to go to get the electricity to that point and have a building and have everything so that I could simply flip on a switch. That's the switch is I receive you, Lord, as my savior. But friends, you realize all that took place to get us to that point? And that's what God's saying here. God knew about me. God knew. Uh, the word there is prognosis. God knows about us and it's unmistakable. Now, mankind's prognosis is not always correct. I heard about a doctor who uh, had a patient come and after he had examined him, he says, well, I've got to tell you, you've probably only got one year to live. And uh, now that will be $500. And the man said, but, but doctor, I don't have $500. The doctor said, well, all right then. I guess I'll give you another year to live. I'll give you two years so that you can get the rest of that $500. <laughs> the fact is, sometimes doctors are wrong. They, their prognosis is maybe right, maybe wrong. But God's prognosis, it is absolutely right. In God's prognosis, his foreknowledge, when he flung the universe into place, when he put the earth where it is, he knew that one day Tim would repent of his sins. He knew that. He knew that I would receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He knew that Jesus would stand in my place. He knew that Jesus would die on the cross. He knew that I'd be preaching this sermon someday. He knew that you'd be sitting there. He knew that. And because of his foreknowledge, the supreme wisdom of God, he chose us to that. And he's been loving us from day one of the universe. Foreknown means to be foreloved. I'm going to ask our worship team if they'll make their way to the platform and
as they're making their way to the platform. One of the, uh, we thank God for his great and amazing love. Nothing could be more thrilling today to know that God loved me just like I loved those little babies before they were ever born or known somebody and then loved them before I ever met them. God loves you, friends. And if you today die and spend eternity in hell, it won't be because that God hates you. He loves you and he would love to have you as his own. Won't you accept him today? Someone once said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flower every spring and a sunrise every morning. Friend, receive him, accept him, and by his grace, you will have eternal life. How we thank God for the mighty and wise foreknowledge of God. Who is God? God is eternal. God is foreknowing. That means he loves us. Would you bow your heads and with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed right now?